0: ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. flying solo this time around. My uh, co-host, associate editor, Parker Fleming, has earned some time off. So he's going and traveling with uh, his wonderful fiance, Allie, for uh, several days, a trip to my neck of the woods in Virginia, and then I believe they're headed up north to New York. So safe travels, Parker and Allie. Enjoy the time away. Uh, well deserved, to be sure. I'm joined on this episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live by the wonderful, one one of the most talented uh, Grizzlies writers there is, and he really is somebody that uh, has become a bit of an institution um, there in Memphis when it comes to writing about the Memphis Grizzlies. Columnist, writer, editor at the Daily Memphian. Again, he's not just a Grizzlies NBA guy. He writes about music. Uh, He writes about food, movies. He really is a Memphis Renaissance man. Uh, Mr. Chris Harrington joins us on this episode of the show. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Joe. I think "institution" is a nice way of saying I'm old. (laughs) Well, if it makes you feel better, it could be worse. It could be a blogging institution like I am at this point. I think. Uh, I think at least you're a writing, you know, an actually established institution. I've been doing this too long myself, um, but you you, uh, you've earned all the accolades that you have uh, that you have gained and. And I really wanted to make sure that I had you on this episode of the show, uh, given the events uh, of the last couple of days, especially with the return of John Morant. Ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Live. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to make that poor choice at Joe Mullinax. You can follow the blog that I am so fortunate after, goodness gracious, six years uh, being able to run now at SBN Grizzlies. That is grizzlybearblues.com. The team blog for the SB Nation Network. And you can follow uh, my co-host, Parker Fleming, as I mentioned, not joining us today. But he will be back, of course, at Paca underscore Flocka. And my guest on this episode, Chris Harrington, at Chris Harrington on Twitter. Uh, Chris, the, the main reason I wanted to have you on, aside from, you know, you've been on the show multiple times, your are friend of GBB, which I appreciate. Uh, you've always been so gracious to us. Uh, you wrote a tremendous, uh, tremendous piece about John Morant and the hecklers that have become infamous now. Uh, I still haven't seen any confirmation of who exactly these people are. Maybe you've noticed that uh, over the last day or so. Um, but, you know, there's the now infamous two, three, five, however many it was, people that talked uh, negatively towards John Morant, saying that the team was better without him, as Memphis lost, of course, to the Oklahoma City Thunder on Monday night. Never mind the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks the Anthony Melton off the bench all had terrible shooting nights, never mind the fact that the defense was off kilter, not even involving Ja Morant. And never mind, Chris, that Ja Morant was a positive plus minus in the game. For literally no good reason, these people yelled at Ja, and Morant took it personally. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, Chris, or if you even noticed it back when it happened several weeks ago. Uh, we at GBB know firsthand how personally Ja can take um, something that shouldn't seem overly personal or overly uh, intense in terms of a criticism, even if it's meant in a joking manner, and you know, and it doesn't help when one of your writers uh, it it's, uh, sets the it's puts gas on the flame is probably the best way to put it. Shout out to Nate Chester, but I do want to say that his reaction to this did not surprise me once I found out it occurred because of what happened with gbb a month ago and i understand jaws perspective you know there's a lot that goes into that i thought that you wrote about it really really well chris in your article it says don't mind heckler's jaw best version of the grizzlies need you at the helm or at the wheel excuse me and i agree with that completely but if you could let our listeners know chris and again I, if they don't already subscribe to the daily memphian they're they're messing out they certainly should they should read this article but i think my favorite part of it from you chris was the way that you addressed Ja being so impacted by those few folks that were heckling him
1: yeah, I mean i you know I don't know whether it's generational or not, uh, again, showing my age, I sort of feel like it is a little bit. um Ja is very online, so to speak, and even though this was not and um this was an in person incident it felt well it feels a little bit like it was prepped like he was self conscious about it, probably because of stuff online. And really, I mean, you know I you guys had your incident, which I know you probably don't want to get down that road too much. I just want to say that that it was it was a really silly thing because the joke was not actually about John Morant. The joke was about one of your writers. correct so I found it I found it bizarre that John would track this down and like make it a thing. but you know, this is the same guy and and I love John Morant as a player, and I you know I don't I don't claim to know him that well, but I've been around him. good guy, great basketball player, so I don't mean this as much of a criticism. But this is the same guy who, as a rookie, like found some guy on Twitter who had criticized him and like brought him up in a post-game interview. Like he's he's very sensitive to this kind of stuff. I think overly sensitive to this kind of stuff. Um, and, as, and as far as the, you know, the incident, um, you know, after the game, whatever night it was, on Monday night, I guess. I mean, I went to the game intending to write a column about John Morant's return. And my hope was to write like a, hey, John Brant's back. The Grizzlies won. This is a great column. And then they, they lost the game. So I couldn't write that. And then I and then I planned to write a, um, you know, they lost with job, but, you know, the, it, it's they'll be winning again soon. And, and, and a little bit more nuanced column. And then I'm sitting in the media room and he starts talking about all this. And I and then I had decided to myself and say, I guess this is a thing we're doing. That's a thing I relish doing, honestly. I know it's good for clicks and good for conversation, but to me, it's silly. Um, like, okay, maybe there were two goofs in the crowd who who made a, a dumb joke about John Morant when they were losing the game. There are people in the crowd, like, heckling and saying stupid stuff in, in every single game ever. Like, I, I was at, and, and a lot of it, it's going to be stronger than whatever mild, you know, Thing was said in this game. I, I mean, I I was at the game earlier this year, which I did write about to some degree, um, where Jared Jackson year was struggling, and some I could hear some guy yelling, "You're terrible! Stop shooting!" Right? I mean, to, to me, the that job made that such an issue was a little a, a little much for me. But I think the real meaning of it, maybe, and I sort of wind my way to the slayer of the column. The real meaning of it is that he is not only self-conscious, but he is conscious of this idea of coming back to a team that had been playing well and wanting to balance his game with his teammates. And maybe that was too in his head, but the fact that it was in his head at all, I think speaks well of John Morant, that he cares about balancing his game with his teammates towards team success. It's not just about, I'm back, let me go get some highlights and get my points, that he cares about the team context and how that relates to winning. And so while I'm, I get a little, I'm a little frustrated by the degree of, like, um, self-consciousness about it, the degree of sensitivity around it, I do admire that, that he does care.
0: I think that it's almost, in a way, after watching things play out over the years, especially, obviously, Ja will always be connected to Zion Williamson. You get the opposite feeling from that circ- set of circumstances, right? Like, Zion Williamson almost seems like he's apathetic. Toward and that may not be fair. Obviously, he's not nearly as involved, not nearly as online as jaw is. So I do want to preface it with all that. Uh, and I'm not a, a Pelicans blogger. I'm a Grizzlies blogger. So it's possible that I'm, I'm off edge there. But just from afar, watching Jaw Morant, you know, whether he was on Twitter, like the rest of us during the games that he was away due to the COVID uh, situation, whether it is, you know, you mentioned him blowing that guy up his rookie season. It's almost like he cares too much in a way. And I would prefer that to apathy, because if yeah, you have he, someone go ahead. He
1: cares too much about the outside right. um, chatter. Um that I think he cares too much about. But it's related to how much he cares about his own performance and his own performance in the context of team success. Correct. Which is something you do you do want him to care about. That's
0: massively important, right? And he's concerned yeah. about the team being successful. He wants to have a lead role in it. You write about in your column how, of course, the best version of this Grizzlies team, the version that everybody hopes to eventually see, maybe not this season, maybe not even next season, but certainly by the time Morant's, you know, support, we would imagine max rookie extension kicks in uh, in a couple of seasons, you're hoping that they're contending – uh, for Western Conference Finals and things of that nature, they're still a couple years away, more than likely. And I think Chris, for me, this between the reaction of Jaw, not just to to our situation on Twitter last month at GBB, but with his reaction post game against Oklahoma City, even on the the more macro view of the way the team played against Oklahoma City in Portland the night before, this past couple of days was a reminder of how young this team is. Whether it's the struggles of Jaron Jackson Jr who has really been off from three, uh, whether it's Dylan Brooks, who is one of their leaders emotionally, spiritually, uh, physically, whatever you know term you want to use, Dylan is very clearly one of the guys at the front of the franchise right now. And I think that his offensive game struggling against the Thunder led to him making some defensive mistakes that he doesn't normally make. So to me, Chris, and I think you pointed it out well in the column as well, the last couple of days have just been a reminder, you know, yeah, they have the seventh or eighth best record in the in the NBA right now. They're playing great basketball. At least they had been until the last couple of games. They're just still really, really young. And I think that we need to keep an even keel kind of view of that moving forward. It's great how well they've played, but it's almost like they've played over their heads to an extent. Obviously, even without Ja Morant, that's been pretty clear. But even if Ja had been in the mix, that their 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 hot streak, has been aided by stars being out at times. that has been aided by some really hot shooting. The Grizzlies have played well and you don't want to take away from that. But again, this is the same team that started so poorly that people wanted to trade Jaron and fire the coach, you know, about ten games or so into the season.
1: Well, I think, I mean, yeah, they are still a young team and they're they're two you could argue whether they're two best. Jaron, I I think, you know, I think mean, a lot of people would argue and and and, and probably correctly that at the moment, he may be maybe he's not one of the two best. I I, I think it's I think it's debatable because I think people underrate his defense. Regardless, they're, they're two most important players. I think, as people generally conceive it, are both 22 years old. But to me, beyond just like yeah, they're young. I, I think just in general, basketball tends to be a somewhat inconsistent thing because it's an 82 game season. And there's so many variables night to night relative to opponents and travel and all kinds of other things. But there's going to be ups and downs, and, you're, and the best teams are going to go through bad stretches, and the worst teams are going to go. I mean, Houston won what seven game winning streak at <laughs> one point this season. Like this stuff is going to happen over the course of a long season. And I think as as you know, I think fans and media and people who just watch the league. I think there, there's too much of a tendency to have a recency bias and to assume that whatever happened yesterday is the thing that's going to happen tomorrow. And I, I think, you know, you can have a sense of general trends, but the day-to-day is, I mean, you know, really anything can happen on any night in the NBA. And so I think people tend to overreact to what, what is happening today and to and to assume that what happened yesterday is is, is whatever the norm is. And so I, I think that's almost part of how, how we react to things more than more than the team's own youth, although I do think that that is, that is certainly true
0: and a factor. It's almost like people try to connect, obviously, football, American football being the most popular sport in the United States by a long shot still. It's almost like they try to connect football schedules to the NBA, and, and of course that's not anywhere near accurate The N, in the NFL – you lose a game or two in a row and a 10th of your season is gone, right? Whereas in the NBA, right. you lose two games in a row and a 40th of your season is gone and there's still plenty of basketball to be played. So uh, I'm really, you know, kind of thrown off. It's always been this way, and you've been around longer than me, Chris, the, the roller coaster ride of Grizzlies fandom and most fandoms, in fairness, but it just seems like it's been more pronounced, this, uh, this particular campaign I think part of that is the impatience because of how much they've overachieved. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's been a good reminder, I think. At least for me, it has been that there's, right. they still got a ways to go. We're talking with Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already do. But it's at Chris Harrington. Uh, again, you're listening to GBB Live. Uh, before we go to break, Chris, I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, you, you mentioned a moment ago, and, and I think I know where you're going with this, and I, I agree with you to an extent. You mentioned that Jaw and Jaron are the two most important players, but at this moment, Ja and Jaron may not be the two best players. I think right. most folks would agree, except for the two drunk hecklers on the, on the court, that jaw is number one. I'm curious who to, as to who your number two is. We talked about this on a previous episode of GBB Live, You know the idea of it being you know, either Dylan or Desmond Bain. You know, De'Anthony Melton, aside from recently, has been really impactful for the team in a variety of ways. So, again, it's early, technically, kind of. Uh, It's a it's a game to game kind of thing that you get the feel. Uh, Who would you say is the Grizzlies' second best player right now?
1: Um, You know, I I think I think Brooks Jackson and Bain are fairly tightly bunched in the pecking order. You know, in that second tier behind Morant, I think. Total impact right now, it's probably Dylan Brooks um, in terms of impacting both ends of the floor and in terms of consistency. Now, he, he tends to, to go overboard sometimes, and I think we certainly saw that um, um, in the game against Oklahoma City. I think yeah. Was, even, though the, even though the numbers were there, that was probably one of his weaker games on both ends of the floor, really. But I think – and if you look at the general impact he's made since he's come back on the team – i i think the story of the grizzlies you know 10 and 2 was, was almost more the story of brooks return than it was morant's absence along with the you know the schedule issues and you know who they played and the players that were out it was more it was almost me and more a commentary on brooks coming back sort of that that dylan brooks in, Zaire williams out switch was really sort of the quiet sort of secret driver of it not anything to do with john morant so i think you know i think it's probably dylan brooks I think Jaron is still a little underrated, even this season, by even by Grizzlies fans, because the offense has been so up and down. I think the 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 and i made this case a lot. People are probably tired of hearing it, but I think the the big step forward he's taken defensively has has been under the radar, even among Grizzlies fans. And I think the value that he has had, you, you see it in the on-off stuff all season. Even when he was, you know, playing poorly offensively, you could see it. I think the value he has defensively, and the way that his game sort of unlocks lineups, and and the way it can fit with almost any combination of players, to me, even even this season. Um, to me, I would probably – I think he's been a more impactful all-around player probably than Bain, but but, but these distinctions aren't all that important. I think they, they've all three generally been
0: really good, and they're probably pretty tightly bunched behind John Morant. They make for good hashtag content, Chris. That, that's what they make good things for. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I'm a big Desmond Bain guy, but, you know, Jaron's impact, especially defensively, is so massive. He's improved uh, as a defender, not fouling. Um, I'm with you with Dylan Brooks. It's been pretty impressive to me that his return has been that impactful for that defense. Uh, He he is that spirit animal, as we kind of alluded to earlier in the show. When we come back from break, uh, it's almost Christmas. I don't know if you guys know that or not. And If you follow me on social media, I'm Mr. Call Me at Christmas. Uh, It's time to kind of reflect on where this team currently is in the NBA and what they may be doing. As the trade line or trade deadline approaches in February, we'll be talking about that more with Chris Harrington when we come back from break. You're listening to GBB Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monex, flying solo this week with our great guest from the Daily Memphian, Mr. Chris Harrington at Chris Harrington on Twitter. In the first segment, we discussed uh, the drama around John ja Morant and the hecklers at, uh, you know, courtside and all of those things that kind of went along with the last couple of losses for Memphis and, and the overall reason that they were able to be as successful without Morant. We we talked a little bit about Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks. Now, uh, Chris, I'm Mr. Call Me at Christmas. I don't know if you know that or not. You probably do, following me on Twitter, as long I, as you I, have I, 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 I've seen that mantra, yes. <laughs> Time for 26. Um, but, you know, it's, it's December 22nd-ish, you know, whenever you're listening to this show, a few days prior to the holiday here. I'm going to cheat a little bit, Chris. I'm going to cheat. I know the Grizzlies have one more game before the actual holiday. They'll be at Golden State on Thursday uh, with Parker out and trying to give Brandon a break. I'm doing all of the game coverage that night, so I need to drink some coffee. Uh, But before all that fun stuff happens on the Zoom calls, Um, we have one more game, but I am going to uh, go ahead and call it in terms of my call me at Christmas reflection. They're currently the number four seed in the Western Conference, which I did not have uh, going into this season. I'm sure you, you, again, as optimistic as people want it to be, the fact that they're 19 and 13, they're closer to the three seed in the Western Conference than they are the five. Uh, And the West is kind of jumbled and weirded. I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, But they are in a pretty solid situation. Again, one of the top eight or so records in the entire NBA. Looking at this Grizzlies team, how much of this is a mirage? How much of this is real? And how much should that reflect on what the team does entering trade season here in the next few weeks? Obviously, they have some expiring contracts, Kyle Anderson who is essentially a big at this point of his career. I think he's played maybe 10% of his time, if not less than that, on the wing for the Grizzlies. He's been a four or a five, almost exclusively. Tyus Jones obviously showed his value when John Morant was out. But again, two expiring contracts. Technically, Jarrett Culver's expiring deal. Three first-round picks in the upcoming 2022 NBA draft that no one expects them to make all three of. Uh, what do you kind of see this team being? Are they in flux? Are they going to try to buy? Is this the time to make that move? Do you see them waiting till the summer? Again, these are all kind of big picture things that will continue to play out over the next couple of months. But reflect on where the team currently is in their development and, and what that should mean in terms of this particular season trying to be as competitive as possible. Or do they almost certainly stay the course?
1: Well, I, I, I'm going to go back to. I mean, you sort of wound your way to the trade stuff. I'm going to go back to sort of the initial question about whether this is a mirage. Please, and 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 my answer is no. I don't think it's a mirage at all. Um, I think you know there's sort of it's sort of an interesting spot with the Grizzlies because even though we're fairly deep in the season at this point, I don't think they have they have put together who they are as a team. And that's because of the overlapping, or the, or, or rather the non-overlapping absences for the most part of Morant and Brooks. Um, the Grizzlies have played 32 games, and John Morant, Dylan Brooks have played seven together. So they haven't had those core players together enough to to really click into place, sort of what they are as a team this season. And you know that that the fact that they haven't played that much together presents some, presents a lot of promise, and also presents perhaps a little bit of difficulty. That you know, I think we saw some on Monday night. We may see more in terms of you know there may be some bumps along the road to get that chemistry together. But it, where they are right now, to me, is not a mirage in large part because of the conference. I mean, I the. You know, the Lakers, I had the Lakers behind the um, Jazz and Sun, so I was a little lower on them than consensus. I didn't have them struggling like this, and now Anthony Davis is gone for a month. Um, I didn't know Michael Porter was going to be gone along with Jamal Murray for most of the season for Denver. Um, Luka Doncic, I did not know, was going to show up out of shape and not be the MVP-level player everyone expected him to be. So I think the conference is such that it is wide open for four, um, completely wide open. And I think with the Grizzlies, and on the plus side for them specifically, rather than just in the context of the conference, I think the the, the, the talent they have across the board and the way individual players have taken individual steps forward on like, like sort of key skill set areas, I have zero doubt about predicting the Grizzlies will finish fourth. I don't think it will be any kind of, you know, um, I don't think it'll be any kind of disgrace if they don't finish fourth you know, if if it was Grizzly versus the Field, I'd take the field. But I think they can one hundred percent they have one hundred percent have the capability to stay fourth in the West. It would not surprise me in the slightest if they finish fourth in the West. And I'm close to expecting them to win their first ever division title, um, over the map. So I, I, I think their, their their place relative to the conference standings may or may not hold, but it is in no way a a mirage or a fluke. I think it's completely legitimate. Um as far as looking ahead to sort of trade deadline and that kind of stuff, um, I think they can go different directions. I don't think they should they should feel much pressure to do anything. I think the one thing you would say is they're not they're not in seller mode. Um, you know, yes, they have some expiring contracts on the books, but when you talk about expiring contract guys who are in the rotation, like Kyle Anderson or Tyus Jones, I think they're so good right now. That you don't do, say what you did with Grayson Allen, where you say, you know, we're going to lose this guy, so let's 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 cash in and get a couple second round picks before we lose them for nothing. I think, you know, losing a player for nothing if they're in your rotation this season is not is not a worst case scenario. If they're helping you now, right now matters too. And so that to me that sets a certain threshold to trade a guy for only future value, like not current value, but only future value. Like I'm not moving Kyle Anderson for one second round pick just because I think I might not re-sign him this summer. I value the rest of the season more than the one second round pick. So I so I so I think they're out of a pure seller mode, a pure future on only only the future matters kind of mode as far as that goes. Um, I think they could, they will, and should be on the lookout for like major trades, you know, trades that may end up moving what we think of as a core piece or 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 one or more future first round picks for for an upgrade. I think I think that window has been open and continues to be open if the right deal comes along. I don't think they need to be anxious to do it. The the middle ground there I think is more obviously looking at some of these expiring contracts and trades that not only might help you in the future but might also help you this season or at least not hurt you this season. And to be the most obvious thing of all for them to do. I, I think I think I think Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones are obvious trade candidates. But the most obvious trade candidate is Jarrett Culper, because he's only there to be traded. Like, that's basically the only reason he's on the roster, is that expiring contract. So I think at an absolute bare minimum, they should be looking to package the Jarrett Culper contract with some kind of draft asset, probably not major, but maybe minor draft asset, to make the team better right, right now, even if, it's not, even, even if it doesn't make them better going forward and I'll write a trade column at some point, but I've sort of used this example a couple of times lately. Like I can remember a few years ago, they thought they were in a playoff race, and they traded a couple of expiring contracts and a couple of second-round picks for Justin Holiday. It turned out they were not actually in a playoff race, but now they are. And so, like, if you could trade Jarrett Culper and a couple of second-round picks for a rotation player that is better than, I don't know, John Conchar or or, or Killian Tilly or, or Xavier Tillman Senior. you could upgrade a spot in your rotation at relatively minimal cost, to me that's something that I think they they have reached the point now where that is worth doing. Now, I'm not giving up a future first-round pick for a rental, but would I give up Jarrett Culver and a couple second-round picks just to upgrade my rotation in a playoff race? Yeah, I think they've now reached
0: the point where that kind of trade should be on the table. I think you hit the nail on the head. If you look at the current state of their rotation, they've got Ja, Bain, Brooks, Jaron, Adams as the starters. And again, as you mentioned a little while ago, they haven't played together a ton. So we we still need to see what those five look like over a larger sample size. Then if you go with a nine-man rotation, you've got Tyus Jones, you've got the Anthony Melton, you've got Kyle Anderson, and you've got – I know I'm forgetting somebody that I shouldn't be.
1: Well, it, it might line. be Brandon Clark if you ever come Right, back.
0: Clark, yeah, somebody along those lines, uh, or, or maybe a Xavier Tillman, something like that. So you, you're, you're looking at that, and then that puts you at that 10th man spot, and, and you make a great point. Who is the 10th man right now? Is it John Constar? Is it Zaire Williams? It has been Zaire Williams before Zaire rolled his ankle and got hurt, but as you know, Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast, I've written about it. You know, that has been a good example of them prioritizing development, in my opinion, because Zaire Williams has been one of the worst rotation players in the entire NBA this season. Now, again, everybody kind of expected that. That doesn't mean it was a bad pick. You know, you can't be mad uh, at an upside swing when you're begging for an upside swing and then they take and you're like, oh, well, he's bad. Well, yeah, I mean, he was the upside swing. Uh, But if you are in that playoff push. I think the idea of the expiring of Culver and then two second round picks or even the first round pick of the Utah Jazz to be honest with yeah. you Chris you know that's probably going to be you know 25th or better or excuse me 25th or worse in the upcoming draft. I agree with you the two seconds would be the preference but I think I would even go to the Jazz pick and say okay this is what I'm willing to part with. Let's see who's out there from a team that is very clearly not trying to contend, you know the Rockets, the Thunder, Ironically speaking, uh, the yeah, Pistons. I, I, do, I,
1: I do think if I'm, if I'm using one of the first in that kind of deal, I want it to be, it doesn't have to be a player who's under contract beyond this season, but I think for me it does have to be a player I would at least consider resigning
0: this summer right um, you know No, I think that's very fair I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all, and obviously that that kind of narrows the pool, so to speak, in terms of who you're bringing in because I think Culver makes a little over six million dollars. Uh, obviously that that means you're probably looking at guys around that rookie, uh, around the end of their rookie deal maybe, or or somebody close to that mid-level exception. Uh, you know, I don't have you their trade have the, exceptions in front of me.
1: You also have the Sam Merrill expiring, which is like right. a million and a half. So right. that gives you some flexibility to go lower salary if you want to use him instead of Culver. Or if you need to go a little bit higher, you can pair Culver, Culver and Merrill to get up to you know, more of an $8 million slot, you know, up sure. to $9 million slot. So you have know, a little bit of flexibility in that range.
0: Gets you closer to the mid-level exception, and obviously that's more where you'd be trying to find that 10th man, so to speak, in terms of the rotation. I think I agreed with everything you just said, and, and kind of a spoiler to what I'll be writing for, I think I'll have it run Christmas Eve uh, after the Warriors game. The the idea of this not being a mirage, I think they are going to be in that fourth or fifth pick. They're almost certainly not going to be in the play-in this year. Uh, they're They're too good for that, which is fun to say. Uh, I, I do yeah, see I, that them... I mean
1: I mean it, it, it's still it's still pretty bunched up. I like the the, the gap from four to seven, I think is gonna remain fairly tight. Um but but I do think they are, you know, to me they are more likely to be in that upper 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 part of that, that, that bunch meaning above the play in line than below it. Sure I do Correct. agree. Correct.
0: Like I could see them falling to six. I, I could see two thirds of the teams behind them Denver the Clippers the Lakers the ones that we all expected to be in front of them at this stage you know two of them leaping Memphis that it's hard for me to see all three especially with Davis being out obviously Kawhi still out for the Clippers Murray still out for Denver Uh, you know there's a lot of moving pieces to make all three of those guys jump in front of the Grizzlies assuming they stay healthy so uh, I think they'll stay out of that play-in and I do believe that they're going to do exactly what you just said if the opportunity presents itself if there's no bigger deal you know Ben Simmons price goes down uh you know Jalen Brown uh, unrealistic to be had right now but if he were to be available you know a lot can change in a couple of months but the most likely scenario is you'll see the the Grizzlies take that Culver pick maybe Merrill you know or that Culver player excuse me uh maybe Merrill and uh, two seconds or the Jazz first and, and try to see what the market looks like for those types of players. Because again, no disrespect to John Conjar, no disrespect to Zaire Williams, those guys being the 10th man on a playoff team is probably not the strongest look for your rotation. Uh, do you agree that they need, again, in a perfect world, and we'll get you out of here on this, Chris, do you agree that, they, that their greatest need is a bigger wing that can create and facilitate because, in theory, Kyle Anderson was supposed to be that. But I think everyone can agree he's better as a as a, like I said, almost a four or even a five at this stage of his career. Are you trying to find that kind of guy with that, or are well, you just looking for best player available?
1: I don't think that's what I'm trying to find with with a Jarrett Culver deal because I don't think that's what you're going to get with a Jarrett Culver deal, or at least finding not, not someone better than Kyle Anderson or better than you know. I, I think you're trying to get the best player you can you can who can fit into a rotation. Um, I, I think, you know, I th- there are sort of multiple player types, you know, you could see the Grizzlies making use of, and that is certainly one. And if you were to stipulate like you're adding an all-star caliber player to the roster, that's the kind of player you're talking about, you know, that Jalen Brown type. Um, I think I think you're not going to find – it's going to be harder to find someone better than a Dylan Brooks or a Desmond Bain or, or a Mountain, even an Anderson – you know, at that lower level in terms of trade, I, I think there's some other types of players they could use that are probably easier to obtain. I, I you know, a, I, I think a, a some kind of another front court player who can screw, who could really stretch the floor, whether that's a three-four or four-five or whatever, um, I, I think could could fit in. I think just a guy a get buckets guy off the bench, which they don't really have on this roster, like classic classic sort of six man scorer they don't really have um but when you talk about just you know a expiring contract and low level draft asset you're i mean I think you're aiming fairly low at that point. you're literally just like who is better than these back end of the rotation guys um you're looking at maybe more of you know I've used the Justin Holiday example from two years ago. it could literally be Justin Holiday, like it could be something like that. Jeremy Lamb, um, you know, that, that's a bigger wing who can, you know, play make, but that's not, that's not, you know, that's a bench guy. Um, that's not, you know, replacing a Brooks or a Bain. And so I, I think if, if you're shopping at the lower level in trade, you're just looking for a, a good player who, who can fit into the rotation. Um, if you're thinking about adding a quote unquote big piece, then yeah, I think those bigger wings is is, your,
0: is what you most want. Makes sense to me. Chris Harrington, thank you so much, sir. We appreciate you, as always. Everybody continue to check out his terrific work over at The Daily Memphian. Follow him on Twitter, if you don't already, at Chris Harrington. Chris, we'll have you back on down the road. All right. thanks, Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Chris Harrington. For Chris, I'm Joe. Have a wonderful Christmas, a great time with your friends and family. Stay safe out there. We'll be back next week. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.